Hello there, welcome to the International Business Podcast. I'm your host, Leonardo Marlo, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. In this podcast, I share my experiences and interview international professionals to draw lessons from the real-life stories. Coming up on today's episode. So with English being the lingua franca, the history of places like Cambridge, Oxford, Harvard, Yale, the private school system in those countries as well, there was an automatic pull for a globalized society to pursue international education for their young people. I think in the US where we've got a school in Boston, the response is even worse because people are looking at the US as an absolute disaster. But the US is not a monolith. It's 50 different states and each state is managing things very, very differently. Carl is Short Courses Director for Cats Colleges. He has over 20 years of international education experience dealing with English language teaching, secondary and tertiary education in a variety of countries, including the UK, USA and Canada. We'll be talking about how the virus has affected the education industry and, aside from COVID-19, why do millions of students move across the globe to further their studies? You can find further information about Carl, including his LinkedIn profile, in the show notes. Now, let's jump into it. Hi, Carl. I'm glad to have you on. Welcome to the show. Hi, Leo. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great, Carl. Happy you're happy too. So, straight question here. Why would you define yourself as an international professional? I'm not an international professional in that I travel a lot for work, but I am because my client base, we're in international education. So international education is international and uh, I work in the management of schools, uh, programs, courses, uh, helping international students achieve their goals in the English language in UK, Canada and the US. It doesn't get much more international than that. For about 70 years, Katz College's holdings has been teaching international students to prepare them for the British or American educational system. International education has been hit very hard, Carl, because of the virus. So what is the situation now? What is happening? The situation, we've gone through various stages and you could liken it almost to the stages of grief. You know, there's denial, there's disbelief, there's anger. Uh, you know, those various stages, but we had to get through those very quickly. And I would say within probably a day of our schools having to shut down in the UK, US and Canada, um, we were starting to innovate online delivery. And in fact, we knew when the, in the UK, the, the lockdown was a bit slow, which we can debate the politics of, but it did give us time to make sure that the very day that our schools were closed, we were already up online teaching and delivering our English language programs, our high school programs um, and our arts programs. So it's been a time of innovation, uh, a time of exploring every alternative. We at one stage were looking at running a summer school in Shanghai at our Cats College's uh, building in Shanghai. Um, we've explored all sorts of online delivery. It's been an interesting time. Uh, lots of product development, lots of uh, adjustment. Our industry is 100% dependent, as it currently stands, on people being able to get onto airplanes. So we are watching the airplane industry, the airline industry, with great interest, and the news doesn't look positive. And let's not consider COVID-19 for a second, Carl. Let's put it aside. 
why is international education important? Why do millions of students move across the globe to pursue higher education? It's an interesting question. I think the, the very nature of travel being an educative experience um, means that the two go hand in hand very nicely. Uh, and then there was the historic um, superiority of university education, higher education, and perhaps private secondary education as well in the West. So with English being the lingua franca, the history of places like Cambridge, Oxford, Harvard, Yale, the private school system in those countries as well, there was an automatic pull for a globalized society to pursue international education for their young people. So some young people at university level or above aiming to do this themselves, but increasingly um, throughout my career, my 20 year career in education, you know, emerging economies, whether it be Brazil, India, Russia, China, um, and beyond, uh, have sought to give their children an advantage by having an international education. Um, so that was an Anglophone uh, experience at the start, but we are seeing it go full cycle. Uh, I believe there is increasing recruitment, for example, at the University of Shanghai for students from Europe and America, for example. Um, so it's interesting watching this process play out. But I fundamentally believe education and travel are um, symbiotic experiences. I like that. I like the, the idea of explaining these two as symbiotic. That's, that's <laughs> very well put. Um, going back to the virus one second. So we regard to the students on campuses, Carl. What are the measures that have been put in place to keep them safe? Um, so our organization, Cats Colleges, has put together a pledge we're mostly focused on the schools reopening. Um, we've currently only got students in one location in Cambridge. Everyone's physically there who couldn't get on a, on a flight and return to their own country. Our pledge involves 19 different measures, so I won't bore you with the detail of it, but the essence of it is to go above and beyond the statutory requirements. So where the government uh, has now reduced its requirement to quarantine students for two weeks on arrival, um, our high schools are saying that we still want to quarantine arrivals for the first two weeks. We're going to test all of our staff and students on arrival for COVID-19. We're going to carry out daily temperature checks. We're going to provide them with what we call a we care package um, when, when they arrive. So hand sanitizer, masks, gloves, etc. Uh, we're going to keep them in small bubbles so that they are quarantining together with a group of small, uh, a small group of students that we can then isolate and keep safe. Um, we're using staggered break times, we're exercising obviously social distancing around the schools, like a one-way system. So many, many different things um, from you know, improved healthcare facilities through to um, social distancing in the school, additional cleaning, etc. And having students on campus means that we can control what they're exposed to outside of campus. Our language schools for adults are slightly different. Our students would be staying in homestays or in a residence, but still traveling into school via public transport. So the risks there are, are slightly magnified, but of course we are talking about adults making decisions for themselves. Uh, whereas for high school, uh, you know, we've got to go above and beyond to meet the expectations of people's parents. So let me uh, jump in a second. Uh, let's say students, young students that are right now in campuses, 
can they leave the campus or they cannot? Uh, though at the moment they are being encouraged to uh, stay on campus. Of course, um, they are allowed to go to the shops, but they must follow social distancing. So we talk to them about that, make sure that they, uh, you know, that, that if they've been quarantining in a bubble, that they only interact with those students who are in their bubble. Um, that when they go to the shops, they wear a mask, they wash their hands before they go, after they go, they try not to touch things, they keep two meters distance from people etc etc so education is a big part of it we're talking about very small numbers of students as well so it's quite easy to maintain that level of safety at the moment as per my understanding students are considering to change country where to study and one of the main reasons is the way a country handled the crisis so students and parents may perceive some places as less safe than others could you compare the responses from different countries carl It's difficult to do that. I don't wish to be critical of any other country but my own. I'm sitting here as a Brit. I'm also half Swedish. And I think uh, both of the governments that I have a nationality for have not covered themselves in glory. Sweden has pretty much followed the herd immunity approach, um, which many people in Sweden feel is neglectful, if not downright cruel to old people and the vulnerable. In the UK, I think it's more down to incompetence, a lack of clarity, uh, slowness of response. That does have an impact on our marketing and our sales. It absolutely does. There, are, there will be people looking at the UK thinking, Boris Johnson, he's not capable of managing this particularly well. I don't want to send my child to the UK right now. And that's where our organization's response is so important to make sure that we are saying that we are going above and beyond, that we really are doing our, going beyond those basic measures and making sure that we are clear in what our messaging is and how we are going to keep young people safe. I think in the US where we've got a school in Boston, the response is even worse because people are looking at the US as an absolute disaster. But the US is not a monolith. It's 50 different states and each state is managing things very, very differently. So we are having to have conversations on a person by person level with the parents of children who are interested in coming to Boston to make sure that they're looking at Massachusetts and the re response that's been going on in Massachusetts and the absolutely improving picture there compared to, for example, Texas, where things are just getting worse at the moment. So I do understand you don't want to name countries that didn't perform well, and, and I get it. So what about maybe countries that performed well, and then let's say students and parents perceive these places as being quite safe? Do you, do you know any country? Not professionally. I couldn't comment because, um, I mean, I think Canada definitely, uh, people feel that it's handled things quite well. Um, and that's the only other country where we have schools and therefore are recruiting students. Um, on a personal level, I would feel quite safe going on holiday to Italy right now. I, it, you know, they, their numbers look very, very good. They've been very solid. Um, but we know how contagious this thing is, how quickly that uh, reproduction number of the virus can go up. And um, so there isn't any, I think, long-term security, but you do want to place your trust in the authority. E-learning, I would like to talk about these now, Carl. Mm. So everybody's talking about online courses, online classes. And uh, yeah. e-learning is the new way, probably. So do you think that students would accept the very same, let's say, university fees, even if they're not allowed to be physically in a classroom? Well, this is very interesting. Um, 
if you look at a university like Cambridge, which was the first university to say that they were moving all of their um, tuition online, Cambridge's education system is actually very much structured around the tutorial system. So one-to-one -one tutorials with an awful lot of independent research uh, and students pay a lot of money for that experience. Um, so the correlation between a tuition fee and hours of classroom delivery is not always one-to-one -one in the UK education system. And I think that's something that international students find surprising anyway. Uh, if I take my own university experience, I had four hours of lectures and four hours of seminars per week. And students coming from education systems where maybe they've got 20 or 30 hours of lessons a week uh, at university level find that surprising. So Cambridge and other universities that have their, their structures like that, I think they can deliver their courses very well online. However, education at higher at university level isn't just about the education, it's about the experience. It's about living on your own for the first time. It's about the alumni and the people that you meet there and the experiences that you have. That growing experience that can take place over three or four years um, in so many different directions. And I think that the computer screen uh, limits that. It definitely limits it. I think many institutions are getting quite creative on how they manage that. You know, I think with virtual learning environments, with lots and lots of breakout rooms, sub wikis, uh, and things like that, it can be possible to create a cyber experience which reflects a real university experience. I don't know how far that has developed yet. Um, I know that there are universities that are proactively looking to do more of that, but I think there also has to be an organic element which will probably grow and develop automatically when term begins in September. Lots of universities are going to do their first term online in the UK now, so um, students will still enrol in September but won't be physically on site in campus until January at the earliest. Uh, and that's going to be really interesting to see what the internet does with that kind of uh, environment. Um, I, I'm looking forward to following it with interest. Just focusing a second on the, let's say, on the financial aspect. I guess that many, many students actually complain about pricing to tuition fees being the same. I mean, apart from this experience, I get it that, and I agree that it isn't just about classes and lectures. It is about the whole overall experience. But do parents and students complain about having to pay the same tuition fees? I think they might, but in actual fact, they're not paying the same amount. They're not paying for the accommodation. They're not right. paying for the travel. They're not paying for the food and the other, other cost money as is, is part of that experience. And if you look at it in a really logical way, what you're paying for is an outcome. You're paying for uh, a degree uh, uh, or an A-level or uh, a pathway into a university program. So the outcome is the same. Uh, the quality of teaching is the same. Actually, from our experience, the level of staffing is the same as well. There is still online welfare, pastoral care, activities um, and other things that schools are doing, which mean that there's the same level of engagement from the school with the student, um, if not more so because of all the extra technical queries. So, you know, I'm not just being a salesperson here. I genuinely believe that the tuition element, there shouldn't be a discount for online. The problem we've got is that there are lots and lots of online 
programs that are available for free or for very, very low rates. Uh, and that's a different model. It's not the full, the fully taught model that we have at our college. It's a, a model where they've invested a lot in a platform in developing a solipsistic type of study where you read, listen, answer questions, go through a training module. We've all done these things, whether for health and safety training or whatever. Um, and they're very scalable. Once you've done your initial investment and built your platform, uh, the only remaining cost is web hosting and the cost of capture of students. You're not paying for teachers, really, uh, and you're not paying for premises. So those kind of models are able, able to deliver a much cheaper tuition model. But it's not the same. You're not learning from tutors. Uh, you're not in a virtual classroom in the same way that you would be um, in what we're talking about with high schools and university programs. Apart from higher education, language courses are an incredibly vast business, and I believe English will keep being the world business language for a while. And what about language courses, Carl? Will full immersion language courses survive this period? Uh, the honest answer is I hope so, Leo. Um, it's a very tough time because where we were talking previously about outcomes, Uh, a university degree, an A-level or baccalaureate that allows you to progress to university. Uh, language courses don't quite have those clear outcomes. Uh, yes, there's IELTS, the Cambridge exams and other examinations, but 90% of all language students don't take a formal qualification. They are there for an immersive language learning experience that will benefit them in a million ways, but the tangible outcome that you pay your money for isn't as clear. Uh, and I think that's Cause, causing problems in this current climate. The other, of course, this full immersion experience, well, that's very difficult to do with social distancing. And as I mentioned before, we're incredibly reliant uh, in the UK, Canada and the US in people getting on board planes. So the, break, the brakes are on my industry, the language learning industry at the moment, without any question. Yes, you're right, there will still be demand it's likely to be slower for a while. Um, not just because um, people aren't getting on planes, maybe people start thinking slightly less internationally for a short period of time, but also because a lot of people in, who are our potential customers have reduced circumstances as a result of loss of earnings, job insecurity, uh, and, and things like that that are going on as a result of COVID. So our customer pool is probably going to be reduced for economic reasons, for geopolitical reasons, and for epidemic reasons. Um, and that, unfortunately, almost certainly means that we will have fewer competitors in the next year or so, as some schools don't manage to survive and adapt. It's um, a truly difficult period at the moment. I really like the way you, you explain this, Carl. I mean, the fact that there's a very wide gap between, I mean, a, a huge difference between an experience and an outcome that yes. English language courses are, of course, they have an outcome, but they're more about experience. While the university, of course, it is about experience, but it's about getting the degree. So there is a clear uh, outcome. And this is actually a very good point that may help 
the audience and me you know, understand the difference why then possibly one of the two categories will outperform the other one even if we're in the middle of a crisis that, that was a good one i like that it's certainly our expectation anyway leo i mean we we just don't have the data yet there are a lot of people who are holding back on putting down their deposits for their courses across the spectrum but it's indicative this is what we think is going to happen anyway I've got one final question, Carl, that I ask everyone who comes on the show. I would like to tell us about one memorable moment from your international career, and you can pick one from a very funny, a catastrophic, or, I don't know, a successful episode. Your pick. Uh, I mean, there's one thing about the international education industry is that it is full of memorable moments. Any one day can have three or four memorable interactions, both from unreasonable customers to culture clashes to inspiring moments of learning um, so I found it very difficult to, to pick a moment but given that we're in a moment of contraction at the moment in our industry I wanted to recall a moment back in 2012 when Stafford House London was school that I helped I was in the, the setup team and the school um, had grown from three teachers and five students on week one to about 80 students and seven teachers uh, three months later. And in February of 2012, we, our bookings went absolutely crazy. We had convinced the market uh, rightly that we were delivering one of the best services in London. We had an energy about us, but we only had a 10 classroom building. And we suddenly realized that in two weeks time, we were going to need another four or five classrooms. Um, that weekend, we went out, we purchased all the interactive whiteboards. We uh, got a load of the guys from the kitchen of our high school who were quite big guys. And um, we struck an agreement with the language school over the road that was not doing particularly well. And we just went and took over one of their floors, completely rebranded it Stafford House, lifted everything in, got all the furniture in, repainted it. And on Monday morning, we were ready to go with a school twice the size. Um, and everybody who did that came in and worked over the weekend, really just for the fun of it. And the energy of having all those different guys, academic managers, teachers, kitchen staff, lifting everything up the stairs uh, because we were growing and growing at a rate that was unexpected uh, is a very fond memory for me in this particular time. And I hope to get back to something like that in the future. So, Carl, before we go, tell us a bit more about your current role and who should connect with you. Okay, so I'm director of short courses for Cats Colleges, which are international high schools in the UK and Boston in the US. Cambridge School of Visual and Performing Arts, which is a wonderful arts, uh, performing arts, graphics, illustration, all the different arts school in Cambridge. And Stafford House, which is international uh, language schools for adults. And Stafford House Study Holidays, which is, as it sounds, study holiday courses, mostly with English language, but also with activities and other things for younger people. So the short course definition gives me a very broad remit. I'm lucky to sit in between all of these different brands and try to find synergies and ways for the different brands to work together. And anybody who really has an interest in uh, a group, a tailor-made group, a tailor-made course, whether to be delivered virtually, uh, which we've now done and we've delivered all of our courses virtually with great success, or 
if a group or individuals want to come to the UK or Canada or the US, then you know, we're very interested in talking to anybody who wants to form a partnership to deliver bespoke courses or in fact, just to recruit students for our ongoing courses as well. Carl, I want to thank you for your insights. Thank you for joining us on the International Business Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Subscribe today to listen to more international business stories, guests coming on the show every Monday. Do not forget to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find the link in the show notes. I'll speak with you again on the next episode.